You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, welcome back to the DNB Supply Show, everybody. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, and thank you so much for joining us again this week. Well, you know, as I walk around and look at the inventory that we have at DNB Supply Stores, I will honestly just walk around the store. I go up and down each aisle and just make a list of things that I think would be interesting for you that are definitely interesting for me that I would like to do an episode about. And today is one of those episodes. So today we're going to be talking all about gas-powered and electric-powered water pumps. And the reason I wanted to do an episode on that is because on our place, our small farm out in Cuna, Idaho, uh, we definitely have a, a use for this. We've got a water source and we could be pumping water from one place to another. And there's, I don't know a whole lot about them. And I know that's got to be true for a lot of us, either on our residential properties where we want to uh, use some sort of an electric pump to pressurize a, a irrigation system in our yards, or those of us with uh, small acreages or even larger acreages in places where we need to move water from and to irrigate or to get water away from a place. And so I thought, let's do an episode all about that. So today, Jeff Jeffries, who's the assistant manager at the Ontario DNB over in Oregon, is coming on and has a wealth of information all about electric and gas-powered pumps for moving water for doing all the different things that we need to do on our properties when it comes to moving water and getting it either where we want it or away from a place where we don't want it. So we'll have Jeff coming on and uh, talk all about that and hope you get as much out of this as I did. Thank you so much for being here, everybody. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, you bet. Glad to be here. Well, you know what? I'm excited to do this interview. It's something I've wanted to do for a while, and we're, we're getting into the season where I think there's it's really relevant. But whenever I walk through a D&B supply store, I, I look at all the cool equipment in there, and I'm always looking at the pumps and going, okay, I want one, but I don't know what to do with it. So I want to know how to use one so I can figure out why I need to buy one. So that's what, that's what we got to do today. Does that sound all right? Sure, you bet. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you what. Let's start off by just talking a little bit about you. So what's your position there? Uh, what store are you at? And kind of how did you come to be with DNB and get your experience to be able to talk about these pumps with us today? Well, I've been uh, with DNB Supply 21 years as an assistant manager at the Ontario store in Ontario, Oregon. But prior to that, I worked for uh, another farm store chain in a different state. And over the course of my career, I've uh, you know had the, the opportunity to gather and gain a, a tremendous amount of knowledge and information. And um, it doesn't make me an expert, but at least I can steer people you know toward resolving their issues, generally speaking. And if I don't know, then I'm always more than happy to do the research and find it out for them. Well, absolutely. And I mean, uh, the, you know, these are tools that can be used by people in a lot of different applications. And we just want to kind of provide people with information on how to use them and how to get them going and, and what they can do with them, stuff maybe they haven't thought of already. Sure. You bet. There's a lot of, lot of uses for them. I mean, obviously, moving water is the primary function. Um, but, you know, there's transferring of water. There's, uh, you know, pumping water for irrigation purposes in into, you know, either a ditch or, you know, into a sprinkling system. You know, people use, uh, you know, pumps to transfer water from a, you know, a tank into uh, stock tanks, you know, that usually are run on gas in that in that situation. But, uh, you know, here at DMB, we can pretty much uh, 
cover most of those applications uh, with what we stock. Do we sell both gas and electric pumps or just gas? We sell gas and electric. Basically, you can kind of, I guess I would classify them as like a transfer pump. You know, if you had a ditch, for instance, that you needed to remove the water from so you could dry it out, basically the gas-powered pumps that are open-faced can pass small particles and things of that nature. So you can dump a, a, a screen in on a, you know, a two-inch suction line, start the gas-powered pump, and dewater that ditch quite rapidly. Most of the gas-powered pumps uh, produce a tremendous volume of water at a time, not necessarily a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Then we also carry the submersible pumps that you can put in, the, which are electric, uh, which you can put into, say, like you're, you know, we're coming out of uh, winter and a lot of people that had their above ground pools, you know, all tarped up for the year. Well, now they'll want to, you know, remove the water and freshen that water. So we sell electric submersible pumps, which you can put into your pool and, and remove that water. So you can clean the liner and basically freshen it and and get ready. Mm -hmm. Then we also have a vast amount of other smaller pumps from offerings from Honda that basically, you know, if you want to just transfer some water out of a creek while you're up camping to, you know, wet down the area to reduce the dust that's gas powered all the way up to a great big uh, eight horse, three inch type gas powered pump that will move a, a ridiculous amount of water. And then from there, we get into, you know, uh, what we're going to primarily talk about today, which would be lawn and turf pumps, Mm -hmm. which generally are most often electric. Uh, At least that's what we sell the most of. And, uh, you know, they'll service both uh, sprinkle irrigated with underground sprinkling systems, as well as surface irrigation with garden hoses and uh, hose-in type sprinklers. And those two pieces are generally for the most part, what we sell most of our pumps for. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a ton of information there. And, you know, normally when we do the show, we don't really go, you know, like it's not a commercial for DNB. We want to provide really good information, but I think it's really important to establish what we do sell because we need to establish um, what we know about when we're talking about this. So I really do appreciate you doing that. Let's take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, I, I want to get into more of these specifics that we're talking about. Okay, Jeff? Sounds great. At DNB Supply, we know that what's inside counts. That's why we dish out Neutrina's NatureWise Medicated Chick Starter Grower Feed. Neutrina's NatureWise Medicated Chick Starter Feed has an exclusive blend of nutrients to support a chick's immune system and overall health, even preventing coccidiosis. Raise healthy chicks with Neutrina's NatureWise Medicated Chick Starter Feed. Available now at your favorite DNB. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors? When you've got Bayland Country gates and panels to really fence your livestock in. Also, when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Bayland Country at DNB. Made from steel and designed for stamina, Bayland Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Bayland Country at DNB Supply. All right, Jeff. Well, you mentioned submersible pumps, and I'm sitting here thinking about that. So, you know, here at our place, and uh, I'm down in Cuna, Idaho, we've got an above-ground pool, and we've got to empty it every year, and, and uh, we'll drain it, and that takes forever, and you can't direct where the water goes very well. And 
and all that type of stuff. So I like the idea of a pump for that. But I wanted to ask you, why would you go with a submersible versus just a gas powered? Could you just run the hose into the bottom of the pool and, and pump out the pool that way? Or do you need a submersible for something like that? No, you can you could do it either way. It's just generally speaking, the nice thing about using a submersible, generally they're smaller, more compact. They run on electric and basically they can set down into the bottom of the pool and the depth that they draw from is based on how far the intake of the bottom of the pump sits off of the floor of the pool. So actually with a small submersible, you can actually remove more of the water. Okay. Uh, with a gas-powered unit with like a two-inch hose, the intake would be further off the bottom, and you couldn't dewater that particular mass of water as efficiently with that as you could with a submersible. Okay, so it's a question of convenience with the electric, I would assume, but also efficiency. Well, that and storage. I mean, it's much easier to put a, a little box that's, you know, 8 by 10 underneath the, the garage bench than storing a, a quite large uh, gas-powered unit also. <laughs> okay. Well, I, with that said, let's talk about the benefits of gas versus electric when it comes to, to water pumps. So why would somebody choose a gas? Why would somebody choose an electric? The primary reason, of course, would be uh, due to lack of access to, you know, electrical there. Um, so in a case where a customer is in a remote location, obviously short of having to pack around, a, you know, a generator and an electric type pump, it's in a lot of cases just way more convenient to have a, a gas operated pump and motor because you can use it, you can offload it, you know, it, it's portable. And that's the biggest advantage to that is it can be, you know, moved quite easily mm-hmm. and uh, used in the area and then transported. You know, if a gentleman has multiple places, for instance, that's the advantage of it. With an electrical unit, you're not really tied down to having it mounted in a, in a permanent position or place. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of cases, it's highly recommended that they are, you know, mounted solid to the area they're being used. Now, uh, which can pump more water? Which can move more water, gas or electric? Uh, generally, you know, in, in what we carry, uh, gasoline-powered units will move a, a tremendous amount of fluid more efficiently than, than the electrics will. Uh, your electric pumps are, you know, again, used primarily for irrigation but on a smaller scale versus like a commercial electric irrigation pump, which, you you know, if you look out as you travel around Idaho, you'll see them sitting, you know, on a, on a standpipe, and there's this great big hub you know, sitting on top of a metal pipe that might be eight inch that's driving this massive pump. That's different than what, you know, what we're doing where, you know, here at the store, you're, you're taking care of a small acreage or, you know, you're just a yard. Whereas in the field, they're using these massive electric pumps to do that. So two different types of units, but at the end, they kind of do the same thing where gasoline is primarily used for portability and moving water from a creek to a tank or a creek to a ditch or something like that, or an irrigation ditch into a field or what have you. 
whereas a uh, you know the smaller electrics that we sell are primarily used just for personal home use. So somebody with some acreage or even a large acreage, small acreage or something like that, if they've got to use this multiple places around the property, they're probably looking at a gas-powered uh, residential homeowner who has some pumping needs, they're probably looking at electric. Am I hearing that correctly? That's pretty much the case. I mean, there's each case may be different. You know, I have a, a customer that lives south of us here in Ontario that uses a pump and a big irrigation gun uh, or a large sprinkler on a stand, and they use a, a gas-powered unit because of the remoteness where they're trying to get water. That's the only choice they have. Okay. And in some cases, that need fits the bill. In a you know, in a perfect world, a large electric would probably better suit them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be more efficient. But in that particular case, the benefit outweighs the cost. So, in that case, the, what they're doing currently is the best choice for them. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, when it comes to the gas-powered pumps, how much gas do most of them hold, and then how does that equate to how long they can run for? I'm not a, an engine expert by any means, but, you know, they'll run for two to three hours on a tank of gas, and I would suspect most of them have, like, a half-type gallon or three-quarters of a gallon-type tank on the larger units. Uh, they're a lot like what you'd find on a log splitter, you know, motor-wise, mm-hmm. and then they're hooked to either a cast aluminum or a composite-type pump like the Pacer pumps have. And, you know, there's advantages to certain ones over others. Some of the cast aluminum units that we sell from Honda are a lower volume but a higher pressure. So the impeller's different. Um, That would be like if someone's trying to produce uh, pressure rather than volume. It's capable of putting water further down the line than what the volume pump would be. Uh, and that basically equates to line loss and friction and different things like that that can affect the way the pump works. Got it. Yeah. And I, I want to get into that as we go forward too, because I've looked into that stuff before, line loss, friction, how that all impacts it. And honestly, that's always been a very confusing thing for me. So I definitely have questions for you uh, about as we go forward. So let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, let's talk about line loss and friction. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today. And these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply. When you think about pet food, what comes to mind isn't normally something deserving of your best friend. But at D&B, you'll find a line of pet food that's so real, you can serve it on a plate. Earthborn Holistic Pet Food. Earthborn Holistics cater to your pet's primal needs, blending a variety of nature's finest proteins with other whole food ingredients for a kibble they'll love to nibble and will keep them healthy and happy, too. Earthborn Holistic Dog and Cat Food, available at your favorite D&B supply. Jeff, now that we're back, let's talk about that really quick since you brought it up. What is line loss and how does friction impact that? So basically, line loss is a resistance in the line, the pipe, as you push water through the pipe, it only can, I mean, the column of water can only travel, you know, the amount of space that's available. So the further it travels, there's more resistance in the line against 
the column of water moving through it is, I guess, the best way I can describe it. So, you know, at the pump, for instance, you might get a certain measurable pressure. And then after 100 feet of pipe going down, you know, along the pasture, Mm -hmm. you're going to get a different pressure at the other end. And basically that's due to the factor of the water column slowing or decreasing in pressure as it moves through the pipe. Mm -hmm. I'm not an engineer. I'm sure there's some way to calculate that so you can actually achieve the same thing by reducing the diameter of the pipe as you move. You could increase the pressure as you decrease the flow. And I'm sure there's a way to compensate for that, but Mm -hmm. that's way beyond my Uh uh, expertise for sure. Well, when it comes to that, then let's say somebody is, they want to move water from one place to the next. They've got to go maybe over a little bit of a rise and then back down. They've got to go 50 feet uh, to get the water where they want to go. Uh, Is that possible with these types of pumps that that we can go out and purchase and, and run off of a gas motor? Sure, sure. And the thing to remember is, is there's a lot of ways to manipulate a tool to achieve what you want. Uh, kind of a little bit off the subject. I mean, you can run an irrigation system at a house on a two horse, a one horse, you know, a horse and a half, three quarter, whatever the case may be, which each unit will produce a different volume of water but it's dependent upon how much water is being dispersed from the sprinklers depends on what size of pump you can get away or how many sprinkler heads are in that system. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of manipulate either the number of sprinklers or the size of the pump to make the whole system work and work efficiently. Okay. So moving water from point A to point B over a rise can be achieved Fairly simply, the most important thing to remember is pumps always push water more efficiently than they suck water. So if you were to, say, put the pump on the other end of the 50-foot, it's going to be a lot harder for that pump to move to draw that water that 50 feet than it is to have the pump right next to the water source and push the water the 50 feet. And that would be, the latter would be a more ideal situation, of course, because of the, the performance curve is greatly reduced, so it's going to work at, ma- at its maximum efficiency in that case. So it's better then to place the pump nearer to the water source and have a longer outlet hose than vice versa? Absolutely, you okay. bet. If there is elevation gain there where you're trying to pump to, how does that impact things? It does increase that, so I mean, it's it's... You know, when you're doing anything like that, I mean, if you're going up, it does have an impact on it. And there's, again, I'm not exactly sure how a person would measure that. In respect to the pump performance, you know, if all things being normal, so if like on our irrigation pumps, the intake size is two inch and the output size is inch and a half. And in, you know, we see a lot of different applications because of the way people plumb them and different things. But in a perfect world or in the realm of letting the pump work at its absolute best is to allow that pump to uptake water, in this case, two inch. So you want to be plumbed two inch from the face of the pump down into the ditch, down into the well, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So the pump has the maximum opportunity to deliver the most product it can. Then on the output side, the same would be true. If you come out of the unit, you want to 
try, and it's not always possible, but you want to try and run your trunk line or your main line at inch and a half because that's the maximum flow out of the pump. Now you're allowing that pump to do its absolute best work. If you start to restrict that either on the intake side or the output side, then you can affect performance and pressures based on restricting the flow either on the inlet side or the output side of the pump. That's making sense, and that's been one of the questions that's kind of rattled around my brain is how far can you pump it and, and what happens. And, and obviously there's a difference, too, between lo- if you're looking for pressure or you're just looking for volume. Exactly, exactly. And that's where when you, you know, kind of when a customer comes in and, and we're having a discussion with them about kind of what their application is, if it's coming you know, out of a well or out of a sand point or it's coming out of an irrigation ditch, or if they actually have what they call low-pressure irrigation that's made available to them, each one of those is kind of different in, in how the pump would work or how it would perform because of the, those particular instances. I mean, pumps have a, a performance curve, which I mentioned earlier. They can do a certain job to a certain point, and then it won't perform anymore because mm-hmm. if you've reached its maximum it has reached zero, if that makes sense, yeah. uh, both on the pushing side and on the suction side. So, for instance, like on our turf pumps, the three-quarter through the two-inch, their maximum lift capability is 25 feet. And that's really, really pushing it to its absolute maximum. Okay. Um, most of the time, like if you're pulling from a well, for instance, and there's a lot of pieces to that, but basically the maximum you could ever draw with would be 25 feet. Well, you want to make sure that your installation is you've at least got enough water in that pump to compensate for what's called drawdown within the casing. So as you turn the pump on and it starts to take water out of that casing, the water level will start to diminish in that column of water. And you want to make sure you got enough pipe in there and enough water so that the pump doesn't run out of water. Sure. Because then you have all, all kinds of crazy things happen when that happens. Yeah, if you get um, air bubbles in there, it creates some issues, right? Yep. Well, that, it'll cavitate the pump. You run the risk of, uh, you know, damaging the pump, obviously, because though as the water travels through the pump, it provides lubrication and cooling. So, you know, running out of water is very, very detrimental to a lot of pumps. And we see that, come, you know, people come in and say, hey, my pump won't work. And mm-hmm. then come to find out at some point it had run out of water. And basically it, had, it has, you know, created a tremendous amount of heat within the pump and it'll melt the impeller and diffuser together, and then it basically will trip the breaker or shut the pump off. Okay. You know, then you basically have to tear the unit apart to repair it and everything else from there. But we we hope that doesn't happen. A lot of times, a lot of that can be resolved in um, basically installing the pump according to what the instructions say. Mm -hmm. And and that's something that's very important. And a lot of guys, well, I've had pumps for years, and, and I totally understand that. But some things change, and some of these newer pumps work on a finer tolerance, and they they don't tolerate air bubbles as well. They don't, uh, you know, a, a small air leak. I mean, on the suction side, an air leak is very detrimental, and it may not be today, but somewhere down the road, it may present a very lousy challenge from the standpoint of doing damage to the pump. You know, when you're installing the pump, whether it's in a ditch or whether it's in the in a well situation, as I explained earlier, you want to use the largest pipe you can going into the pump with a foot valve. 
Um, basically, a foot valve is a one-way valve on the bottom of the pipe that allow water to go th- up into the pump, but when the pump shut off, it basically closes mm-hmm. and allows to keep that column of water in that pipe all the way up to the pump. So every time you use the pump, you don't have to prime the pump or fill the pump casing with water, which is basically what priming is. And that allows, you know, allows the pump to, to function every time you turn it on without having to reprime it every time. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take another commercial break. Um, I want to ask you about the differences between some types of pumps when we come back, okay? Okay, great. Your puppy needs the very best to grow up big and strong. That's why D&B stocks Science Diet puppy food for standard and large breed pups. Science Diet's got all the nutrition essential to keeping their little tails wagging and their teeth sharp while supporting their immune systems and controlling growth. And with the highest purity and quality standards, Science Diet gives you nothing but the good stuff. Choose Science Diet puppy blend for maximum puppy licks. Available at your favorite D&B supply. Know what boots work as hard as you do? Georgia Boots, available to try on for size at D&B Supply. If you're on your feet all day, Georgia Boots knows the feeling. That's why they've designed exclusive comfort systems that cushion and support down to the bottom of your soles. While on the surface, they shield you from tough conditions with one of the most durable leathers out there. See why they earn the nickname of America's Hardest Working Boots and pick up a pair of Georgia Boots at your favorite D&B Supply. Well, Jeff, as we were as we were going out on that last break, you were talking about priming and about the foot valve and keeping water in the hose so you don't have to reprime all the time. When do you have to prime these pumps? Is it just the very first time you use it, or is it after you shut it down each time and you drain stuff out? You got to reprime. Well, it could be either way. So, in in the scope, let's let's first. I guess we'll talk about a turf pump that's hooked up to um, maybe a, a water district that's got uh, what they call low flow. Uh, water or low pressure uh, irrigation. So in a case like that, basically the water is actually f- flowing through a pipe to up and to the pump. So you really don't have to quote unquote prime the pump other than maybe the first time you use the pump for the season. Mm-hmm. Or if you have to take the pump out of circuit for some reason, maybe it sucked up some weeds or something that came through the irrigation system early in the se- in the season. You know, if it's a gas-powered pump on the other the other side of the house, because you're basically generally that's a portable type unit, mm-hmm. and there's there's a flapper valve in those that kind of sorta keeps water in the pump, but not always. That's something that when you put the hose in with the basket on the end, and basically you you get it wet, it's always beneficial to try and reduce the amount of air that's in that hose as much as possible. And that's one of the reasons putting a gas-powered pump as close to the water source as possible, that reduces that airspace in the hose. Because most of the time when you use a gas-powered pump for transfer of water or dewatering a space, there's generally not a foot valve on that. Because if you do and you've got a 20-foot hose and it's a two-inch intake, you've got 20 feet of, of hose It's full of a column of water from the foot valve all the way to the face of the pump and that's a lot of weight to drag out of a a ditch or a creek or something like that where you're gathering the water from Mm -hmm. so in that case that's kind of where gas units fit and then on the other side of it when you're using an electric pump a foot valve especially on the turf type pumps and really in any any situation other than what they call like a low pressure 
feed, you should have a foot valve on, and that basically will, or a check valve, which the only difference between a foot valve, a foot valve goes on the bottom of the intake, and a check valve would go in line prior to the pump. So in a case where you have to open a valve to access your water, for instance, and then the check valve would keep the water that's already in the pump casing there, then when you turn the pump on, you still have a section of water. And usually it's enough as it starts to pump, it'll pull through that little air bubble that might be in that pipe. Unlike if you're pulling from a ditch where you actually have to elevate quite a long ways, you don't want that pump to sit there and expel the water that's actually in the pump and then run dry in attempts to pull that column of water up into the face of the pump and actually start the pump. So basically in the long run, the foot valve or check valve protects the pump from running dry to a certain degree as long as there's water available to pump. Okay. So that's really the biggest function of those in in both. A foot valve is uh, very important, you know, using it on a, a regular irrigation system if you're drawing water from a ditch up into the face of the pump. If it's basically coming in anyways, under even under low flow, it's not as important. Okay. Or actually, you don't really need it. Now, how, how difficult is it to, to prime, say, a portable gas pump? Uh, if somebody's intimidated by that, is it a very difficult thing to do? No, usually on, on all pumps, even the electrics and the gas, usually there's a port on the, the head of the pump that can be varying sizes depending upon the, the make of the pump. But it can be a three-eighths to a three-quarter inch, uh, basically, pipe plug that's put into the head of the pump, and basically you just unscrew it. It gives you an opportunity to put water into that pump and into the circuit without taking something out of it. Mm -hmm. And so you just fill it up like you're filling up a water jug, and when you can see the water come to the top of it, you basically screw it back in, tighten it down, and... And that basically has, you know, if you have a foot valve on the end, that solved your priming for the season. Okay. Now I want to ask you, as I was reading and studying up to do this interview with you, I saw that the people listed pumps as dewatering, but also trash pumps. What are the difference between those two? So a trash pump generally is a, can be electric. Um, in some cases, more often it is a gas powered pump, but basically a trash pump can move particle. So if a for instance would be back to the, the the contractor, you know, dug a foundation and there's eight inches of water sitting in his trenches. Mm-hmm. Well, there can be rocks and mud and, you know, maybe some roots or different things in there. And when you place the uh, hose in that with the basket on the end, which basically a lot of pumps will come with a basket that has a certain size hole in the basket and basically any particle that'll travel through that hole in the basket will actually pass through the pump. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it it can move, I guess, a reasonable amount of grit, dirt, mud, whatever through the pump without causing damage. And then it'll actually shoot it out the other side. So if somebody is looking at an application right now on their property or their house, whatever it may be, and they're looking at the water and maybe it's silty, maybe it's clear, at what point do they do they need to start thinking about going to a trash pump versus a, just a dewatering pump, if, depending on the, the amount of debris in their water? 
And that really is 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 the case right there. And, and really, in speaking of that, it it have to be have a a measurable amount of particle. I mean, and when when you talk like silty is no problem. It's more in foreign foreign matter. So I mean, if it's a really like it's cutting weeds or or there's a lot of trash that comes down leaves and different mm-hmm. things that come down through that. That's where basically an open-faced impeller would be more efficient, which what you'd find in a trash pump. Where in you know like the lawn and turf pumps, they have a veined impeller, which basically is just a circle with like crescents into it, so the water basically goes in the middle, and as that impeller spins, it increases its velocity and creates pressure, and then it's expelled out the top of the pump. So in those, what happens is, is that debris would basically fill that impeller up and reduce or eliminate that pump's ability to move water, and then, then the machine has failed. Then you got to tear it apart and, and remove whatever the, the objects out of that can be, and I mean... I've seen rocks and twigs and leaves and fish and frogs and a wide variety of things come out of pumps that, you know, no longer fail or they Mm -hmm. fail and they need to be repaired and you open them up and there's basically things in the impeller that make the impeller not function anymore, which in turn, you know, made the pump fail. All right. Well, let's take let's take another commercial break. When we come back, I want to talk about sizing and kind of helping people figure out what they need. Okay. Okay, great. Greatness comes from the inside out, especially when it comes down to what you feed your animals. That's why D&B Supply carries Purina Mills. Purina Mills feeds greatness with balanced nutrition that makes a difference your stock can feel and you can see. It makes them healthy, strong, and greater than ever. Purina Mills serves up the good stuff for all shapes and sizes, from horse to cattle, goats to pigs, even for the birds. So for all creatures, great and small, pick up Purina Mills at your favorite D&B. This is Bill's yard, and Bill's a grill master, not a grass expert. Still, he won't let weeds invade his backyard barbecue kingdom. And with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed, Bill can clear out weeds, green up his lawn, and hold his spatula high. Because Scott's Weed Grip Formula is twice as effective on dandelions as it used to be. This is a Scott's Yard. Pick up Scott's Weed and Feed today. Well, Jeff, let's talk about the size of pump that that somebody should be looking at. I guess my first question is, when somebody's looking at, at a pump, should they be more concerned with horsepower or should they be more concerned with gallons per minute? What is the the level of or the unit of measurement they should be most concerned with when sizing? So generally those correlate. So, I mean, like in the irrigation pumps that we carry, they're, they basically look the same for all intensive purposes. Um, the, the biggest difference is in the the horsepower of the motor that drives the pump, but also the size of the impeller that actually moves the water. So if someone comes in and they say that, for instance, they've got, you know, a you know, average house on an average city lot and they need a pump and they're going to operate, you know, just drag hoses and, and water with hose-end sprinklers, then they can very comfortably get away with, you know, a three-quarter or a one-horse pump. Um, if someone comes in and says, well, I live on three acres and I've got a sizable house and a large yard and I've got, you know, a pasture, then we want to upgrade them into a large pump because they need that additional volume and pressure to move the water from wherever the source is to wherever wherever they're going to end up using that water. So 
in a lot of cases, you can make a smaller pump do a large area. It's more about matching the pump to, I guess, the circuit, for lack of a better way to describe it. So if a pump is capable of producing so many gallons per minute at a given pressure, that gives you a, like a magic number. So then your total volume per minute it would be X. And then with that being said, you can calculate, well, I can run so many impact heads, you know, the, the Rainbird type or the orbit impact heads, or I can run so many gear drive heads, or I can run so many pop-up heads. Mm-hmm. And so in designing your system, be it, you know, a pasture irrigation system or your lawn sprinkler system, you can say, well, I can run six sprinklers on this circuit and I can run eight pop-ups on this circuit. And then pretty soon you can design your system based on what your pump is able to produce. So there is a way to calculate all that information and it just, you know, basically I kind of take it from what the customer is telling me when they're standing in front of me, you know, what they're looking at, what they want to do, because each pump has a, a maximum output in pressure and dependent upon the lift of the pump, then it also has a certain amount of volume that it'll produce in, in volume based on the information. So each pump will have this performance chart And usually it'll list the pump model, the horsepower, the discharge pressure, the maximum PSI, and then also what the gallons per minute are. So with all that good information, you can find approximately the size of pump that a customer needs to satisfy that information they're providing you with. Now, as I've looked at pictures and diagrams, videos and things like that, I see when it comes to the intake hose, it looks like it's a it's a very rigid kind of ribbed hose. And then when it's just a, a matter of moving water, not necessarily pressurizing, it's like this kind of loose, just open hose coming out the other side. Why is there a difference in the hose types from intake to outlet uh, on that kind of application? So, and in, 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 in a lot of times the rigid... Uh, intake hose, so to speak, is used on primarily gas. And then um, there's several different ways you can hook it up. They make uh, a cam lock fitting, which is uh, a fitting that's like a quick coupler, for lack of a better way to describe it. Uh There's male and female. You put it on, and basically there's two pieces, bars, that you when you pull it down, it draws and makes a good contact, uh, makes an airtight connection on the suction side and they do that primarily for portability so you're not trying to lift a gas powered pump and 20 feet of suction hose and water in that you know blah 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 where it it just makes it more convenient and the other side of it is is the rigidness on the intake side has to be as such i mean you can think about it like a straw Mm -hmm. if that makes sense so if you've got a rigid piece and you you know you're having a drink of pop it comes through very easily Whereas if you pinch the bottom of the straw and you suck against that, the straw collapses. Well, that's the same thing that happens if you put a soft intake hose on. It basically the pump will, you know, create suction, which will flatten it out, and then it'll starve that for you know water and basically you know sure. run the risk of, of doing damage. The outtake side, I mean, you can use um, like a PVC type like a fire hose, I guess, for lack of a better way. We call it discharge hose. It's just a blue PVC material that can be rolled up. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's lightweight. 
Uh, it, can, it can take the pressure. But then, you know, a lot of people that do, and a lot of that's used mostly, again, in gas power. Whereas in electric or for, like, you know, lawn use and such, most of the time people will hard plumb that. And then basically they'll put a union uh, on the front side and on the back side of the pump. So if for some reason they have to remove the pump from the circuit, they can take apart a two fittings and pull the pump out without having to, you know, cut their whole irrigation system apart with a hacksaw and rebuild it. Now, when somebody goes down and, and they purchase a pump from D&B or, or wherever they're at, what accessories should they expect to receive with that pump when they purchase it? Most of the time with the, with the pumps, the pump is sold as an independent piece. So with that being said, you've got a, your pump. And then as far as to accessorize that, if you want to use that word, it really depends on what the application would be. So in a case like someone's buying a gas-powered unit to, you know, take water out of a, a ditch and move it over into a water trough or something, um, you'd want a, a section of flexible hose that's rigid for the intake side and some quick couplers or some spin-on, you know, some fittings to couple that to the face of the pump. Mm-hmm. And then from there, uh, your output side would basically be like the lay-flat hose or the discharge hose to get the water to the tank where you want it. On the other side of that, if you're, you know, if you're talking about the, you know, the ditch pumps or the turf pumps, um, basically I prefer, would prefer everybody use a rigid type intake, like a PVC pipe, you know, everything's glued together and you can put a union in so you can take that, you know, intake side out of the circuit, you know, and make it its independent piece. And then also on the output side, but that way, the opportunity for air leaks is greatly reduced mm-hmm. because the lawn pump don't tolerate uh, air leaks very well. Okay. And that's where you can lead into issues. It's kind of like, uh, you know, getting a straw and it, and, it, and it gets a crack in it when you take it out of the wrapper and you try and take a drink. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you're not really getting a drink. You're getting a bunch of, of air and, and liquid at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not very efficient. So that affects how much you're getting to drink, well, that basically affects the same way as the pump has the ability to get water to it. As it's trying to draw, it's drawing air also, so it can't pump efficiently, and that could lead to some performance issues or some damage. Now, are there garden hose adapters or things like that that we can run off these as well if we want to? You can, and I've seen it done, and, and I again, it's, it kind of depends on the situation. Usually, again, that's like my. I had a place in, uh, that I first bought up here that had uh, what they call low pressure irrigation, and I bought a pump. And I looked around, and everybody was basically doing the same thing. You know, they come out of the top of it, put a couple spigots on it, and run garden hoses off of it. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a while, and and you know, I, I just wasn't getting. An, you know, I could only run two sprinklers or three sprinklers at a time, and I wanted more. So what I actually did is I, I trenched down the side of my property and I put in a inch and a half, I guess I'd call it a main line. And on that main line, I put four standpipes with hose bibs on it. Then I could run four hoses at a time instead of two or three. And I didn't have to run them from the backyard because the pump was in the backyard and I ran that pipe all the way out to the front mm-hmm. and it just was more efficient. It can be done, but if you think about it, you're drawing in, in a perfect world, two inches of water in the intake on that pump, and you're putting it out an inch and a half. So if you automatically restrict that flow to like one inch or three quarters, 
you're not really allowing that pump to work at its best because you're restricting it right out of the gate. So, I mean, not everybody has that availability. A lot of people do that. What I try and tell people is, you know, see how much you can run off of it at a time so that it's not, you know, it, it can be as efficient as possible. And it would be perfect if you can get almost as much going out as is coming in, but that's not always reasonable. You know, you might have like six or seven hoses strung all over the yard trying to get that much water out. And that's part of the reason why sizing the pump is also important. So if you're trying to run a two-horse pump on a 20 by 20, you know, section of yard, that's a way overkill. You know, that's something that you should be using one of the smaller pumps for. Okay. Great. Well, Jeff, this has been great. What have I not asked you about that you want to make sure people know about pumps? Well, the most important thing, um, obviously, you know, when you get the, you know, after you've talked to somebody that can help you select the correct pump, uh, secondly, make sure you read the manual. There is wiring issues. All of our pumps can be run on two different voltages. Mm-hmm. Um, you can run the horse, three-quarter and one horse on one, 115 or 120 volt and also 240. And then the larger pump, the horse and a half and two horse, it's preferred if you run them on 220. Uh, I think the horse and a half, you can run on 115. But basically, the smaller pumps are better. That's why, you know, sizing again, power supply-wise, or what, what's available makes sense in selecting the pump. And then there's a way that it needs to be wired. So like most irrigation pumps, they're right in the beginning of the manual. The first page, it has a wiring diagram. It's very simple with the red line pumps that we carry. Mm-hmm. There's a little black box, in, a little cube in the back of the pump. And basically, you pull the cube straight out. There's a white arrow on it. And then inside of the pump, there's a little, there's two blue arrows. One says 230, one says 115. And you just pull that box, that little cube off and you match up the the white arrow to the blue arrow and you push it back on or vice versa, depending upon what power source you're using. And that's obviously very key. Then the second thing is, you know, just make sure that you've got a very, very good sound intake, uh, no air leaks, preferably use a rigid glued or threaded with threading compound on the joints so you don't draw air. And then, you know, beyond that, I mean, once that's all good, obviously mount the pump, you know, if all possible, don't let it get rained on, keep it out of the mud, you know, all those types of things that, uh, you know, just make sense. And I mean, the last thing you want to do is put a tool you paid good money for and and just leave it set out, yeah. you know, year round. And I guess on that same note, one of the one of the most important things is in the wintertime or the fall of the year, when you're finished with irrigation, you need to winterize your pump. And a lot of people forget to do that and they leave it out and then it uh, freezes and it'll actually crack or break the uh, cast iron case on the pump and that's uh, not an inexpensive repair uh, in all truth. So that can be avoided by on the bottom of the pump, there's a little plug that you can remove. And I usually tell people, you know, remove that and throw it away. I mean, and not literally, but take that and put it someplace so you don't screw it back into the face of the pump. Mm -hmm. And then take the pump indoors after it's had a good opportunity to dry out and um, make sure it's good and dry before you, you know, stow it. A lot of people just pull the plug, and if it's not mounted level, 
it can retain a small amount of water and it doesn't take much and then it freezes and it can actually still break that casing. So okay. uh, winterization is very important. Jeff. Other than that, I, you know, it, it's kind of a case by case basis. And, uh, you know, we've got some really good uh, qualified people that are knowledgeable and, and can certainly help folks at our stores, uh, you know, find out the, the right pump for their need and, and get them fixed up with all the pieces they might need. Great. Well, thank you so much. This has been a wealth of information. And I know people out there right now are going, finally, somebody saying there's something I can learn from on this because it can be confusing. But I do really appreciate your time and your expertise today, Jeff. Hey, I was glad to be here anytime. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.